Hey, my name is Alex. Uh, I get the privilege every once in a while to come up here and share. I'm on the elder team here at Cross. And um, hey, if you would do this with me, we're gonna do a little exercise. Uh, just take a deep breath in real quick. Ready? One, two, three. And breathe out. All right. That feels like December, right? Like you guys are getting ready. If you have, if you have little, little ones at home, you're probably getting ready to go travel uh, to visit people. And then you're trying to parent on the go, which is always fun or trying to sleep on the go and get out of rhythms, or maybe you're stressed out about gifts you need to buy, or, or maybe the holiday season is just kind of, it's just hard because there's people that you wish were there with you that aren't here anymore, or they can't be with you. Um, and so I know that the, the holiday season brings a lot of weightiness at times. And so um, my hope is this, it's the next few minutes, it's, it's not gonna be a few minutes, you know, the next hour, it won't be an hour, um, that you'd be able just to kind of be here. Just kind of let all of those thoughts, all the anxiety of what needs to happen and just be present. Uh, I had a good friend tell me contentment is knowing where one is is where one should be. So the fact that you're here means this is where he wants you to be. So we'll dive in. We're gonna dive into Matthew uh, chapter seven that we're diving into the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, like Blaine said, Jesus did this probably over a couple of days. We've done it over a couple of months. Um, and so what we're going to do is I'm going to back up a little bit and just remind us of how we got to where we are right now. All right. So when it comes to Sermon on the Mount, there's kind of three things that are really important to know when we're studying this. And the first one is this, that the order of the way Jesus is sharing in the Sermon on the Mount is important. The order is important. He starts with the Beatitudes right? He starts with, this is what a Christian character, this is what it looks like, someone who follows Jesus, this is their character, and then he leads into what we do. And so I'm going to say this over and over again, I hope it gets into your heart, that our doing for Christ is always a result of our being in Christ. That we don't do so that way God loves us, we do because he's loved us. And so the Beatitudes started off with this, blessed are the poor in the spirit. Now, not financially, blessed are those who are poor or happier those who are poor. He's saying, blessed are those who have nothing to offer God. That there's no good deeds. There's no things that you could present to God and go, here it is that you have nothing to offer. And he says, blessed are those who mourn. And mourn what exactly? We talked about, we mourn our sin. We mourn the fact that this isn't the way I'm supposed to be, is it? Or this isn't the way it's supposed to be. It's not just my sin I mourn, but it's the world's sin. And then that leads us, when we have poor in spirit and we mourn our sin, it leads us to the next thing, um, which is that we're meek, we're humble. It leads naturally this humility, which then leads us to hunger and thirst and to righteousness. So Jesus in the beginning starts with, this is really important. I want you to know those who are, who are with me, those who are following me, this is, this is the attitude, this is the character of who we are. That our doing is always a result of our being in Christ. And the second thing then becomes this. At the, end of the, at the end of the Beatitudes, what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 20, he says, I'm gonna give you a new righteousness. Or he says, your righteousness, he says this, your righteousness needs to um, surpass that of the Pharisees. In which case you hear that and you go, uh-oh, <laughs> right? Like, I don't know about me, but growing up in church, I know the Pharisees like, were really holy and really like righteous. And so the fact that I have to be better than that, I'm like, it's not looking good for old Alex, right? It's not looking good for me. And then that leads to the next part, which is this, that the Sermon on the Mount reveals the simple fact that we need a Savior. 
that when you read it and you're going, all right, I'm just gonna try to, I'm just gonna try to live by this, you will make it 10 minutes out of here and realize that you just completely failed the Sermon on the Mount, right? Somebody cuts you off when you're trying to get out of there next to the Dollar, dollar General um, and you just get angry and you're trying to, I can't get angry, that's not good, it's not helpful. Um, and then you start beating yourself up and feel shameful and all the things that just come and you're realizing like, am I, how do I actually live the Sermon on the Mount? And it just reveals that we desperately need a savior. And that's the context of which we're now going into, which is towards the close of the Sermon on the Mount. So let's do it. Matthew uh, chapter seven, verses 12 through 14. And this will be in the ESV version. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. And as we get ready to dive into, we had the golden rule, right? The one that we all know. Even if you didn't believe in Jesus at all, you knew the golden rule or you heard of it. I remember I was, uh, I was tutoring in this thing called uh, Avid. Maybe it was Avid. Avid tutoring, we'll go Avid, in Columbia, where I was a Young Life leader. And I wanted to try to get to know some of my friends at this high school, Blythewood High School. And so I thought, you know what? I'll tutor. And that way I get to know some kids and get to like, serve the school. This would be a great way of kind of helping them out. And uh, they asked me, like, well, what are, what are you good at? And I was kind of dreading that question. I forgot that's part of it. You kind of need to know a subject to tutor somebody in it. And so I was like, well, I think I'm good at math. I took AP Calc, so I, I, should, I, I know math. That was 15 years ago, but I'm sure, you know, math doesn't change. Um, but uh, <laughs> um, so I said, yes, let, let me do that. And they said, okay, great. Um, here's the thing. When, when you work with uh, Avid, you don't actually teach them. You just ask questions. I was like, cool, good. All right, that's a great thing. We're in a good room right now. And so uh, I remember what would happen is they would present a problem on the board and then, and then you'd ask questions so they could help solve the problem. And then they, their friends would ask questions. And I'll never forget this one time. Uh, they were doing this one, you know, algebraic equation where you had this, you know, letters and numbers on this side, right? And then there's a greater to or equal sign. And then there's some other algebraic equation on this side that was negative. And then, uh, I didn't know this, but um, what happens when you divide by a negative, they switch the sign around. And I remember sitting there going, I have no idea what that means. And I was like, hey, so uh, why, being a good avid tutor, like, tell me, why did you switch the greater sign around? And they said, because when you divide by a negative, you switch it. And I was like, you're right. Just checking. You're doing great. Um, and I'll never forget this teacher and I would have these great conversations. She wasn't a believer, just like awesome, good-hearted teacher, right? Like just um, loved her students well. And I remember we would talk about Jesus every once in a while. And I asked her, I was like, hey, it's really interesting that you have the golden rule written in your classroom. Like, it's just interesting you'd have like scripture written in your classroom. And she goes, that's not scripture. And I was like, really? And she goes, this is the golden rule. Everybody does the golden rule that's not just Jesus. And I was like, really? And then I started questioning myself, that ever happened to you? We were like, wait a minute. Did someone else say it before Jesus? <laughs> you know? Um, and the reality is she's not right or wrong because actually before Jesus, Confucius did say it. He just said it differently. He said it like this. Um, Do not to others what you would not wish done to you. Do not to others what you would wish not done to you. Or, um, uh, Rabbi uh, Hayil said this, what is hateful to yourself 
do to no other. This is the whole law. See, she's not wrong that there was a form of the golden rule, but here's the difference. It was always in a negative light. It was always, don't do this thing because you don't want it to happen to you. And if we're honest, that's not as hard of a rule to follow. Simply just ask yourself this question. What are things that I would not want to have happen to me? Well, I don't want people to steal from me. Great, don't steal from other people. Okay, I don't want people to talk bad about me. Great, don't talk bad about other people. Okay, um, here's a great way where I saw this law, you know, this, this opposite of the golden rule lived out. Uh, my, uh, my nephew and my brother. Uh, so I have two brothers. Uh, my one brother, Chris, uh, his ne- my nephew, his son, Anthony, when he was about 10 years old, we were at Nick's wedding. You follow that connection? Okay. And so uh, Anthony was being a 10-year-old and was just like kicking my brother constantly underneath the table, like just hard, just annoying him, right? Just being a nephew to the uncle. And so Nick did what any good uncle would do. He just looked at him and he kicked him as hard as he could in the shin. (laughs) And Anthony started crying and he goes, you didn't like that, did you? Don't kick people or you're going to get kicked. (laughs) That's the opposite of the golden rule, right? Like he's not wrong. I wouldn't recommend it. Nick doesn't have kids. There's probably a reason. Um, you know, and so that would be the opposite of the golden rule because at the center of, of the negative view of that is me. It's what do I not want to have happen to me that I won't do to others. But Jesus ever so slightly just completely turns it by going to the positive and says, whatever you wish would have done to you, do to other people. And by doing so, it goes from us being at the center to now the other person's now at the center. And now I have to ask the question, well, how can I love this person right now? What would I wish would happen to me? And then I'm going to do it for them. And you might go, well, aren't you kind of at the center? Yeah, you start at the center. I have to ask the question, what would I want in this situation? How would I want to feel cared for? How would I want to feel loved? But then it stops there and goes, and now go do it for somebody else. That their needs, their desires, their wants, all of a sudden trump yours. And that becomes a really hard thing to do. See, it can't be, you can't just look at the golden rule and go, okay, how do I want to be loved? Therefore, I I love somebody else that way. Uh, If you're newly married, here's a freebie. Um, If you're not married and you're going, how do I live with a future spouse? Here's also a freebie. Um, The Five Love Languages, great book. Highly recommend it. It's kind of an easy concept. Love people the way they want to be loved in their five love languages. But here's where I'm going with it. Allie, my wife, loves acts of service. She loves it. She loves, like, you clean the house. It's like the greatest thing in the world. I love quality time, in particular, going out to eat. And so what would happen is I would come home from uh, um, traveling for something in young life, and I come home, and guess what? That house is clean. It's so clean. And she goes, you notice the house? And I go, no, it it smells good, right? Like, it's like when your wife goes, like, have you noticed my hair? And you're like, you got a haircut. Haircut, you got a haircut today. Um, But she loves me the way she loves to be loved by cleaning the house. Uh, And vice versa, um, I would love her when she'd come home, like, let's go out to eat, and the house would be a wreck. And she goes, thanks for trying. Um, But you see, in the golden rule, what we're saying is this. I need to not just go, what would Alex want? I need to go, what would she want? Which means I need to know the other person. So the golden rule takes whatever standard was here, and now it becomes this impossible standard. It becomes the rule of which you are called to live your life. When you go back into uh, the first word in Matthew 7, verse 12, it says, so whatever you wish. That so is the word therefore, All right? So the question again is, what is it referring to? Why is it there? Like, what is, what is Jesus concluding? 
And here's what he's concluding. Uh, it's not just the past sermon that, Matt, uh, that uh, Taylor t- told last week. He's including the entire Sermon on the Mount. So in Matthew 5, 20, it says this, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus, from that very point at the end of the Beatitudes, when he, when he says that, he starts comparing two types of people. He starts comparing two types of righteousness. And he says, your righteousness needs to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And in doing so, you get to the golden rule where he says, now the whole thing, all of, the, all of everything I just said, in fact, all of the law and the prophets can be summed up in simply the golden rule. Go follow it. And if you're like me, here's the first thing that happens when we read the golden rule. It condemns us. It condemns us. You can't possibly go on your own effort to try to live the golden rule. If that's the standard by which we enter the kingdom of heaven, none of us are getting in. Not one of us. It's equivalent to, uh, let me read Romans 3.20. says it this way. In Romans 3.20, it says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law, which the golden rule. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. When we look at the golden rule, it's not like, oh yeah, good, I'm gonna follow that. You realize quickly it's an impossible standard to follow. And that's kind of the point. It's equivalent to this. Uh, the, the, the golden rule is equivalent to saying, okay, uh, how do you enter the kingdom of heaven? You gotta swim from here to London, just freestyle. That's it. And you might be going, well, there's some of us that are really good swimmers. In fact, there's this guy from Croatia. He's the longest, he's the longest person ever to swim 134 miles. That's far. Like, you know, I would, I wouldn't make it that far, right? I'd make it like a mile. Um, it's 3,000 miles from here to England. So I don't care if you can swim 134 miles or you can swim 10 feet. We both end up at the Atlantic. We both end up at the bottom of the Atlantic because the standard becomes impossible. And so why does Jesus give this golden rule? It's what we just talked about. He gives this golden rule to remind us this, that we need a savior that if it's your good works that get you into heaven, it's your righteousness that gets you in, we're not getting in. Uh, John Newton, who wrote the, the great hymn, Amazing Grace, um, when he was getting old and kind of forgetting to, how to preach, and he was like, I think he was like 80, 81, and some guy asked him, says, why do you keep doing this? And he says, because I'll never forget two things. First, I'm a great sinner. Second, I have a great savior. As long as I remember that, I'll keep preaching. The golden rule reminds us that we need a savior. But then if you're going, whew, I'm off the hook. That means I don't have to do it, right? No, um, I wish, but no, not at all. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, when he was commenting on this passage, when he was commenting on the Sermon on the Mount, says, the Sermon on the Mount is not something to be studied. It's something that's supposed to be practiced. We are called to live out the golden rule. So then if you're with me, you're going, You just told me I can't possibly hold the golden rule. It's not possible. We're going to fail miserably. At the same time, I need to uphold the golden rule to get into heaven. And then you're saying I can't also do it. How do those things work out? How can I do something that you're telling me is impossible to do? You know, I love when you ask questions that I feel like I might have an answer to. Great job, guys. Luke 18, verse 27 says, what is impossible to man is possible with God was impossible to man as possible with God. 
It's why it blew my mind that the golden rule was, was in her classroom. Because I was like, you, you're upholding a standard which everybody's like, I'm going to fail miserably at that. It becomes this um, impossible weight that you're like, that's the standard? Perfection? <laughs> Good luck. And he says, what is impossible to man is possible with God. Another thing Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said when commenting on the Sermon on the Mount, he says, it's wrong to ask anybody who is not first a Christian to try to live or practice the Sermon on the Mount. Here we go. To practice, or sorry, to expect Christian conduct from a person who is not born again is heresy. How can I expect people to live something out which they don't have the power to do? You can't. So how do we do it then? William Barclay, in his commentary, said, to obey this commandment, a man must become a new man with a new center of his life. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, new is here. So how, do I, how am I able to uphold the golden rule? You have to become a new creation. Well, how do I have a new creation? We'll pause right there and we'll come back to it, I promise, all right? Or else it'll be the worst sermon ever, all right? We go now to what Jesus then talks about the two ways. He goes straight in from the golden rule and then he goes, all right, there are these two different ways. There's the two paths that he goes on to explain. So let's pick it up. Verse 13, it says, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Now, it'd be really easy to read this and go, oh, okay, the easy way. Or in this case, the NIV says the broad way, the way that is wide. Okay, who are the types of people that are in the broad way or in the easy way? I want to say this. In fact, when you read it, you want to be like, oh, it's those people who are like, I don't care about God. I want to live life my own way. I want to live life. I want to believe in my feelings and just, it's all about me and I'm just going to live life my own way and I don't care about God at all. So um, I'm just going to have a good time. And then when it comes to the narrow way, maybe we believe, oh, the narrow way is like the disciplined way. It's those who do the 10 commandments, who give, who go to church, who, who do all the right things. And that would be the easy way to understand that. But unfortunately, um, it'd be wrong. Because here's the difference. The broad way or the easy way has both types of people. It has the, the unrighteous, those who are going, I'm going to live life however I want to live life. It has, it has those types of people, right? But at the same time, it also has those who do the Ten Commandments, who tithe, who give, who do not murder, who do not commit adultery. Why? Because remember at the very beginning, Jesus is comparing what? Two types of people. He's comparing righteous with a new style of righteousness that he's bringing. So those who are on the broad way are not just those, we'll call them the younger brother. Think of the prodigal son. The younger brother is like, hey dad, love you, but not really, wish you were dead. Can I have my money? I'm gonna go waste it on just wild living, you know? Yes, that person is on the broad way. They are, they are on the easy way. But remember in that story, you also have the elder brother. And the elder brother, what is he saying? He's doing all the right things, but for what? The wrong reason. Because he still wants all, his, he wants all the things that his father has. He's just trying to be good to get it. So when you look at this, the easy way, they uphold the Ten Commandments. 
right? When Jesus says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. The person who's on the easy way is going, yeah, yeah I didn't commit adultery. And Jesus is going, no, 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 no. Don't look at a woman lustfully. Hey, hey, don't, don't murder. Like people who don't murder, they're on the Broadway, but he's going, no, no, no. Don't have anger in your heart. There are people that give, that tithe, that fast. They're all on this idea of this broad way. Why? Because the simple reason um, that we're doing these good things, why? So we could get things from God. Here's a point that I think is just, it's, it's so good. It's, it, it's easy to miss because I don't want to believe it sometimes about me. That I use God to get things. That I use God to get things. Why am I doing all this like good things? Is it because I love God or is it because I want his blessing? Is it because I want his good favor to land on me? That I believe if I pray hard enough, he will bless my business or he'll bless this ministry I'm doing. And here, here's a confession. I have been there. Like remember when you first started following Jesus, he became kind of like a lucky charm. Like you were getting ready to play some sport, right? For me, it was golf. I was getting ready to play golf. And you know what I did? I prayed real hard. It's like, God, Lord, you know, you, you just got to be with me today. Why am I praying? Because I want him to bless my thing. <laughs> it's not because I love God. I just want him to bless the thing that I'm doing. And I love to say that it ended there. It didn't. I just switched golf with ministry. I better be real good and make sure that I, I, I'm living a holy life. Why? Because I want God to bless this thing that I'm doing. You, you see how I don't really love God in that moment, do I? I just love the things I get from him. And that's what becomes, that's why this road is so easy and so broad because we so easily can fall into that. I remember, I think it was John Piper. He had this quote and he says, if you could have heaven, and have everything you want in it, except for Jesus, would you want to go? And he said, the answer to that question determines whether you love Jesus or you love things. Man, that was like an arrow in my heart. I'll never forget this. Charles Spurgeon um, told this, this famous um, parable, if you will, about uh, a gardener and a carrot. And it went like this. He said, there's this kingdom. And in this kingdom, there's this gardener who had this small little part of land. And in the small little part of land, he grew this giant carrot. And it said, he loved his king. And so he, he grew this giant carrot and he went to the king and said, guess what, king? Boom. He can feed you for weeks with this carrot, right? Like, it's beautiful. It's awesome. And, and you know what the king said? Thanks. Oh, that is great. I, I know how much you love me to make that, to grow that carrot. You know what? I'm going to give you 10 more acres of land. He goes, wow, he didn't see that coming. That was such a surprise. Now, one of the other servants watched this. He goes, he got 10 acres of land for one carrot? I'm going to give him an awesome gift. I'm going to give him this big gift. And he was in charge of all these horses. So he's like, I'm going to get the best, the greatest horse, and I'm going to give it to the king. And so he did. And he went up to the king and said, here's the horse. It's awesome. It's fast. And the king said, thanks. That was it. <laughs> and the servant's like, Whoa. For a carrot, he got 10 you know, acres of land. I, I gave you something way more expensive than a carrot. What do I get? And he goes, oh, and here's the line. He says, he gave me the carrot. You gave yourself the horse. See, are we using God to get things? Is, is Jesus, is God, is he a means to the end or is he the end himself? So the Broadway is filled, yes, 
with those who are like the younger brother, living life however they want to live, but it's also filled with righteous people who are using God to bless their thing. You know, we even see it in this, and I know we've all, we've all said this before, God, why is this happening to me? Like, why, why would you allow this thing to happen? And if we're, if, we're, if we're honest, what we're asking is, I've done everything good. Why would you allow a bad thing to happen to me? You owe me. I've done all the right things. Why would you let bad happen to me? Again, we're, it's, just, it's so subtle to go and say, um, I love God, but I really love his things. And that's why this Broadway is broad and why so many people are on it, because it includes both sets of people. Those who are unrighteous and those who are righteous. But then who comes the, the next point, which is that, what's the narrow way look like then? And it's this, that we use things to love God. That God is not, an, is not a means to the end. He's the end himself. That we love, we love God. Remember what I said at the beginning, that our doing for God is a result of our being in Christ. Our, our doing for Christ is a result of our being in Christ. We don't do these things so that way God loves us. We do these things because he loves us, because we've been transformed. You know the story of Zacchaeus, the wee little man, right? Like Zacchaeus, he's not very tall and he climbs a sycamore tree. And what's the story of Zacchaeus? He's a tax collector. He, he's stolen money from everybody, right? Everybody hates him. At one point it says the whole world's grumbling against this man. So it's okay. Everyone is stacking hands and go, who's a bad person? Everybody in that room would go, Zacchaeus, for sure. Bad guy, not good. And so Zacchaeus kind of knows that. And so he wants to see a picture of who Jesus is. So he climbs this tree, probably to like, you know, for a spot where he could see Jesus, but Jesus couldn't see him because of the leaves, you know? And what does Jesus do? He stops and he looks up. And what does he call him? By his name. Zacchaeus has probably been called a lot of things. I don't know if he's been called his name. And he says, Zacchaeus, you know what he says next? Come down, I must stay at your house. And for the Jewish culture to say, I want to go and stay at your house, it's an offer of friendship. I want to go and be your friend. And what is Zacchaeus' response when he has received that? He hops on down that tree and he just goes, I'm in. I'll give everything away. Some people, they then start to mutter and go, ooh, he's going to go hang out with Zacchaeus? He's not good. And then Zacchaeus says, hold up, hold up. If I've cheated anybody, I'll give them like four times. In fact, I'll just give it all away. Why? Because he found something far greater. You see, because Jesus wasn't a means to the end. He was the end. And he gave everything up to have him. It's almost like when you've heard that parable before of um, my daughters, we, we give them each a little verse um, when they're born and a hymn that we sing over them. We're like first generation Christians in our family. So we're just trying to figure the whole thing out. Um, and so for Addie Mae, we gave her the, in Matthew 13, it's the story of the, the great pearl. And I remember I heard this and it always just hit me. Because I thought when you hear the story of the great pearl, it's here's a great pearl. You know, the guy goes and sells everything he has to buy the land to get the pearl. And I go, oh, I know what this story's about. I need to give everything up in my life to get Jesus. The end. And I had a friend that said, no, I think you missed it. See, Jesus gave everything up to have you. You were the first great pearl. And when that becomes true in your heart, he then becomes the great pearl, which you'll sell everything else for. Again, because he's not a means to the end. He is the end. Okay, so if we're talking about the two different ways, then there's this other subtle part in this story that if you're not careful, you can miss. I missed it, which is not saying much. 
Um, but Matthew 7, verse 13 says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy. It leads to destruction. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Enter by the narrow gate. Do you notice what comes first? It's not the way, it's the gate. Because here's what every other religion says. Walk this way, do these 10 things, pray this, be a good person. If you do that, then you'll finally get to come to the gate that leads to life. In fact, the last words of Buddha was this. Strive unceasingly, never give up. Keep working, keep trying, keep proving, keep making the reason why you should get to enter the gate. But what does Jesus say? The first thing he says is you need to first enter the gate. And then what follows is our doing for Christ. Remember, our being, our doing for Christ is a result of our being in Christ, that we first enter the gate. And then we live a life that looks like following Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. So the question easily becomes, so who is the gate or what is the gate or how do I find this gate? And I would say this, I don't think we could ever really find the gate on our own. I mean, I think if you're looking for it, um, we'll be looking at it for a while. But then the most beautiful thing happens, that the gate, the kingdom of heaven, came down from heaven and revealed itself in the person. That in Jesus Christ, we have the gate. It says in, in John 10, 9, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. That there's no amount of striving and, and being disciplined enough that could get you to get to the gate. No, 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 no. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Come to me, I am the gate. Also, he says, I'm the way. That's crazy. <laughs> he says, I am the gate, come to me. And through him, we then get the spirit, we get the power to actually live out um, the golden rule. This is the whole point of Christmas. Uh, if you ever get a chance, to, it's called the Jesus Storybook Bible by a lady named Sally Lloyd-Jones, not related to Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, but they have very similar names. Uh, but she tells the story of the, the Tower of Babel. And in the Tower of Babel, I've always like been frustrated by that story because it's like these people are all together. They have all the same language and they build this sweet tower to get up to God. And God's like, uh-oh, you're getting too close. Let me like mess them up a little bit. And then they all can't talk to each other. At least that's the way I always interpreted it. Um, and realizing that's not what's going on. Uh, so what they're trying to do is make a name for themselves. They're trying, they're trying to, to build something that can surpass God. They're trying to build themselves into the kingdom of heaven. And the way Sally Lloyd-Jones puts it uh, in the Jesus Storybook Bible was this. They tried to work really hard to get to heaven. And God knew there was nothing they could do to get to heaven. So heaven came down to them and a person named Jesus. That's Christmas. That Jesus came and lived the life that we couldn't live. When I said, Jesus says, I'm coming to give you a new righteousness, it's him. A righteousness that far surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees. He comes down and says, I am coming to live the life that you couldn't live, and I'm gonna die the death that you should die so that way now you can have the righteousness of God. A way better way of saying that is 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, for our sake, he, Jesus, 
um, made him to be, uh, to be sin, who knew no sin. Jesus knew no sin. He's the only one that actually did the golden rule, who knew no sin, so that way we might become the righteousness of God. One person called it the great reversal. That here's, here's Jesus in heaven. Here's us down on earth. He comes down to us and lives the life and dies the death that we should so that way we can have the life that he deserved. It's the great reversal. And if you get it, it's a love that completely transforms you. When you realize that he was willing to switch places, that his sacrificial love is done for you, you're able to do that to others. Um, I'm gonna butcher this, but we're gonna go with it. Uh, the story of the tale of two cities. You guys know that story. Uh, I never read it, I'll be honest. I know, I know it. Um, but in, in that story, there's this, there's this part where this, this woman kind of loves these two men, um, but she kind of chooses the one. Um, and then through, during like kind of the French Revolution, what's happening, uh, the, the one she chose, who she loved, was put into prison. And, and he was in prison and he was getting ready to be led off to be executed. And so this one uh, kind of boyfriend number two who's hanging out on the side, you would think he would be like, aha, this works out great for me. He gets out of the, he's now out of the way and now I get to come in and, and, and rightfully be her husband. Uh, but that's not what he does. It says he, he went into jail where he was being held, um, the other guy, and um, he switched places with him. Uh, the other guy didn't want to switch places with him, so I think he knocked him out and then dragged him. They kind of looked the same. And so he dragged him out, and so now he went and died the death that the first person was supposed to die. So that way she could have the one that she always wanted to choose. And here's why I share that. Because in doing so, there's another lady who's getting ready to be um, also executed in the same, same fashion. And she said, why are you doing this? Why would you switch places with her? And she, he shared, because I love her. And he said, she said, would you hold my hand when we head to the gallows? Um, I would love this type of courage. See, here's, here's my point. When you see such unbelievable sacrificial love of Jesus, that God so loved the world that he gave you his one and only son. When you experience that, you didn't deserve that. I didn't deserve that. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we experience and we understand that sacrificial love, what happens in us is things begin to transform. We begin to become a new creation. When we accept that, when we accept that he switches places with us, the most beautiful thing happens. That 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that we are a new creation. And because we're a new creation, we now have the Holy Spirit and we're able to live the life that we were created to live, the Sermon on the Mount, which comes all the way to the last point, which is what is vertical always comes out horizontal. What you receive, what is vertical, what I, what I, what I experience from God always comes out horizontal. It's just the way that it works. In fact, one of the last things Jesus tells his disciples before he, he gets led on to um, being crucified is this. It says, a new commandment I give you. Love one another. Why? Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see what he's doing? The last thing he's telling them is, hey, don't miss this. This is so important. What you've experienced vertically from me, God always goes out horizontally to other people. It's why that when we follow Jesus, we can't just like hide ourselves away from the world. God says, no, no, you are the light of the world. 
You're the salt of the world. You need to be in the world doing what? Loving people. Loving people the way you would want to be loved. And by doing that, someone once said, the Sermon on the Mount is the greatest evangelistic tool we have. That if you're living that out, it changes people's lives. And I know that. I, on Young Life staff, I was just uh, calling some people who were interested in joining Young Life staff with us, which is a high school ministry that um, I, my wife and I and a couple other people get to do in town here and all throughout the country and world. Um, and I asked some of these guys, I said, hey, just tell me your story. How, how did you come to know the Lord? And it was fascinating to hear their stories. One was a guy who's from Texas. And this kid goes to Clemson. And he said, yeah, um, uh, growing up, I went to a Christian uh, school. This is kind of a small school. And I was like, oh, okay, great. Like, did you kind of learn about Jesus in there? He goes, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, the teachers and everybody were great. Learned everything. And I was like, oh, cool. So, like, is that where you started to follow Jesus? He goes, oh, no, no, no. Hated Jesus there. I was like, oh, okay. Uh, why? He goes, oh, some of these kids, they said they were Christians. And they just bullied me like no other. And I said, if that's, if that's your God and that's the way you are, I want no part of this. He's like, so I never, never believed in anything when I was in high school. Because Why? because the people didn't love others. And I was like, well, so then what changed? He goes, oh, when I got to Clemson. All right, before you go Clemson, people are like, yeah, stop it. All right. Um, but he goes to Clemson and he goes to SCA and he experiences some, uh, some of these young life leaders that happened um, uh, to kind of be around him. And it was the first time he experienced other people who loved Jesus, but actually loved him. And that there was a joy in them. And that they actually thought about him and invited him along the way to John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, love one another just as I have loved you. You can only love people by the golden rule, by putting them at the center when you realize Jesus did that for you. That he put your needs, your wants, your desires at the center of everything. And when you realize vertically what Jesus has done for us, then we're able to live that out horizontally with other people. When you realize that Jesus on the cross was instead of anger in his heart, was able to offer forgiveness. When you realize that when Jesus was on the cross, he didn't just uh, go eye for an eye, but he turned the other cheek and he just took it. Why? For you and me. And when that becomes real in our hearts, when you understand that Jesus is the gate, and when that love is the gate, that I walk through that gate, what happens as I begin to live the golden rule? Again, my doing, the golden rule, my doing for Christ is always a result of my being in Christ. With me and my, some of my high school friends, I like to give them nuggets because that's what I do. Um, so here's the nugget. If you're not paying attention or you're like, oh, are you just waking up right now? You haven't missed anything. Here's the point. The nuggets, and guess what? It's already written on that piece of paper for you. The gate, Jesus, reveals the way. The gate reveals the way. And the way points back to the gate. The gate, Jesus, reveals the way, live the golden rule. And then when you live the golden rule, guess what? It points people back to Jesus. And it brings people back into the gate. So I want to leave you with one kind of simple question and one plea. The question is this, what way am I on right now? Am I, am I using God to get things or do I truly just love God? And don't get me wrong, I don't want to say this. When you're walking with Jesus, it is not an upward spiral of holiness, right? Like that, you know, you smoke 10 packs of cigarettes a day and then you met Jesus and never sinned again, right? Like that's not the way this works at all. 
In fact, I, I want to give you a picture of that because if you think when I start following Jesus, then I'm always going to be on this righteous path and never mess up. I want you to know you're going to mess up. You're going to say, I'll never do that again and do it 10 minutes later. And if your vision of God is to anger God when you mess up, then you'll never get back on the path. And so here's the picture for you. When Addie Mae learned to walk, um, she took three or four steps. And you know what happened? Of course you do. Boom. She fell flat on her face. You know what Allie and I didn't do? We weren't like, boo, you stink. Come on, Addie Mae, figure it out. You got legs, use them. Right? Like we didn't do that. Instead, this is our reaction. Oh my gosh, it's the best thing in the world. You're doing great. Keep coming. And then, and then she takes two steps and boom, falls flat again. And then she took one step and boom, fell flat again. And this happened for months. Our kids were not the quickest walkers, if I'm honest. Um, all right, but here's the picture. When you start following Jesus, you're gonna take a couple steps and boom, you're gonna go right back into something. I want you to understand what God's face says to you. He's saying, hey, you're doing great. Keep coming. Come on, keep going. Don't stop. That's in 1 John 1, um, 5 through 9, when he talks about um, that we are to live in the light. And he talks about um, if you live in the light, it doesn't mean you live in perfection because he says the blood of Jesus is on you. Meaning this, he knew you're going to mess up. And then the great verse, you know, in 1 John 1, 9, and that if we confess our sins, he's, he's faithful to forgive. So my plea is this, what road are you on right now? What way are you on right now? You know, the NIV and the ESV, the way and the road. And if you don't know, I'd encourage you to go back, maybe with our people who, um, who just are great and they pray with us back there, to go back there and pray with them and ask. But then if you, if you kind of understand maybe what road you might be on, then maybe here's the plea. Will you enter through the gate this Christmas season? That the gate left heaven to come down here and be with you that he sacrificed everything to get you. Would you walk through the gate? Let's pray. Father God, um, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that you left heaven and Jesus to come down here to take on flesh, to experience everything we've ever experienced so that we could know who you are so that we, we could that we could experience the righteousness we don't deserve but through Jesus we get to and that you weren't just wanting to save us but you're also asking us to be part of it that we are called to bring God's kingdom down here by the way we love one another and we do that not to gain any favor from you we do it because we've already gotten a favor from you that we are your beloved sons and daughters, the king. So our doing for you is a result of who we are already. And where that has been forgotten, Lord, remind us. Where we have gone a different way, or um, would you bring us back? Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Will you take my heart, take and seal it. Seal it for thy course of life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.